And our study this morning is in the book of Ezekiel. Maybe a while since you've been in Ezekiel, so go toward the back of the Old Testament, second half of the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36. Last week we talked about this year being a year of great faith. And we kind of set out the challenge that, that we're really going to trust the Lord in, in a stronger way. And we talked about, uh, at the end, the uh, asking the Lord to show us His fresh evidence of His glory. If you weren't here last week or haven't uh, listened to that study, I encourage you to do that this week because I pray that it set the tone for our year. And uh, that, that sense of greater faith and that sense of uh, seeing the glory of God revealed will only come about if we desire what Moses did in Exodus 33, which was our study. We want to know the Lord and we want to know His ways. We want to be students of the Word and spending time in His presence so that we would know who the Lord is and how He works. And then the second thing we talked about was only proceeding if the Lord leads us. Now, I fully believe with all my heart that the Lord wants to make this a year of breakthrough. He wants to break through for each of us uh, as, as His children. He wants to break through for us as families, uh, that there be stronger marriages, that, that anything that's divided right now would be reconciled, that kids would be walking with the Lord, that if they're away from the Lord, they'd come back to the Lord and come back to the family. And then I really believe it's a year of breakthrough for us as a church. And we've been talking about that for a couple years, that the Lord's doing something. I had two people tell me again yesterday, the Lord's doing something here. Well, let's really seek Him and ask Him to do that. Let's seek Him and ask Him to really break through in our midst. And, and we will know, no matter what, no matter what happens, there's no doubt that we have about whether the Lord is going to be gracious and faithful, right? We, we know that's what He's going to do because that's who He is. And we sang about that at the end of the service yesterday when we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Love that song. That was my grandfather's favorite song. We sang it in my wedding. It's just a great expression of God's goodness and faithfulness. And it comes from Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, which says, The Lord's loving kindness never ceases, for His compassions never fail. Here's the line, They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now that's an awesome truth, isn't it? To know that each day when we wake up, there are fresh mercies that the Lord has specifically prepared for us. Now, the Lord knows you and He knows me perfectly. Psalm 139 says that He knew our soul before our bodies were formed in the womb. And He knit our bones together. Little uh, Luca was born yesterday, Nick and Danelle's new son. And I said to Nick last night on the phone, I said, isn't it a marvel that that little eight-pound child is a fully formed human being? That in the womb, God knit his bones together. He formed him. He created him. Not a little lump of, of cells until the moment all of a sudden he was born and became a baby. No, from the moment that body was formed, it was a human. And that heartbeat indicated that God had put the breath into that child's life. 
and, and that little body, that little, that little body you could hold in your hand right now is a complete human being. That's because God did that. And he knows exactly what you and I are going through. He knows exactly what we need. The Bible says he's acquainted with our griefs and our failures. He comes near to those who are brokenhearted. And he sustains us and provides for us to bring us joy. So every single morning, he has prepared mercy that is individualized for you and me. That is exactly what we're going to need, specific to our day, specific to what's going to happen, specific to to what we need. He knows exactly what's going to happen and exactly how to provide. It is an amazing reality that gives us strength and it gives us assurance that we're never out of his hands. He's never indifferent or away or busy. He knows exactly what to do and how to provide Morning after morning after morning after morning. Now, I was thinking about that truth this week as I was reading this passage in Ezekiel 46. And when I saw what the Lord called Israel to do in these three verses we're going to study, it just jumped off the page. Let's read these three verses, and then we're going to draw some very simple applications this morning that I believe will help us, okay? And you will provide a lamb a year old without blemish for a burnt offering on the Lord da- for the Lord daily. Morning by morning you shall provide it. And you shall provide a grain offering with it morning by morning. A sixth of a ephah and a third of a hin of oil to moisten, moisten the fine flour. A grain offering to the Lord continually by a perpetual ordinance. Thus they shall provide the lamb, the grain offering, and the oil, morning by morning, for a continued burnt offering. Now, it's important to note, and I want to be very clear, that this instruction was given directly to Israel. And this instruction was given under the law. The purpose of the Old Testament is to undeniably show us that man cannot in any way satisfy God's holy standards. That man cannot come anywhere close to fulfilling the law on his own. So Jesus came to live perfectly. He came without sin or blemish. And that both revealed our need for a Savior and also proved that he's the only one to be the Savior. And Matthew 5.17, if you're taking down notes, write that verse down. It tells us that he fulfilled the law and he introduced a new covenant of grace. Now, that raises the question, what purpose does the law have for us? As believers, as Christians in 2019, what relevance, what purpose does the law, the Old Testament, have for us? You know, I read this week that one very prominent pastor of a well-known megachurch said that, quote, Christians aren't required to obey any of the commandments found in the first part of their Bibles because participants in the new covenant are expected to obey the single command that Jesus issued as part of the new covenant, quote, as I loved you, so you must love one another, unquote. Now, the problem with that 
very misguided theology, and it's known as replacement theology, is that Jesus himself said, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So while we're not under obligation to uh, still repeat some of the rituals of the law, that does not negate the truth of those laws. It does not negate their spiritual application. The point of it is to direct us toward the Savior. Now, if you need a verse for this, Galatians 3.24 says that the law is a valuable tutor. It is a school teacher, another version says, a school teacher that leads us to Jesus Christ so that we would be justified by faith. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture, say with me, all Scripture, that was weak, say it again, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all Scripture is profitable for our doctrine, knowing what we believe, our conviction, what, what's, our, what's our core truth about God, our doctrine, our admonition, because sometimes we need a little slap, right? We need a little, you're not doing the right thing. It's, it's profitable for our correction, and it's profitable for our training in righteousness. So if all Scripture is designed to do that, and the law, the Old Testament, is designed to point us to Christ and be a tutor and trainer and school teacher, then that means that every single passage, including Ezekiel 46, has relevance and spiritual application to us today. So that raises the next question. What does a text that we just read about burnt offerings and grain offerings and oil have to say to us in 2019? Well, if the Lord is gracious to us every morning and he has new mercies available to his people who are redeemed only by Jesus' sacrifice, then there must be, there must be some measure of reciprocation that we as his children can give back to him. If he's done it all, Christ has saved us, he now says, I've given you my spirit, I've cleansed you, I've purified you, I've adopted you, you're mine forever. So somebody like Aggie now stands in the presence of the Lord, walking in heaven with all the saints, with my dad, with my grandparents. He, she's up there today, walking with the Lord because of what Christ did. So, so if that's true, and then God says to you and me, tomorrow morning, I've got a fresh load of mercy for you. I've got specific individualized grace that I'm just ready for you. It's going to be poured out on you. It, it's there at your disposal. It's available for you. I'm going to work. This is what I'm going to do. If all of that's true, and we know it is, right, then what do we do in return? What do we do to show love and gratitude to him and to show that we are set apart for our Savior and our Lord? Now, as we're going to look at the nature of these physical sacrifices in verse 13 to 15 this morning, I pray that we will see the parallels, and they're fascinating, between what these were designed to do and what we are called to do. 
Because how many know that nothing the, Lord, nothing the Lord does is coincidental? That This is not just, well, we're grabbing this passage out of Ezekiel and we're going to try to make it fit. No, when we really understand what these sacrifices were designed to communicate and then we draw the parallel to ourselves, I pray we're going to be really excited. And we're going to be ready to respond. So here's what we're going to do. If you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to do that, uh, uh, we're going to see simply what each offering represented, and then we're going to apply it to how we should start and live every day. And as you write these down, it'll kind of give you a visual image of what this looks like. So, all right, let's list the three offerings that are listed here. First of all, these offerings were supposed to be made every morning, Every morning. And here's offering number one. Offering number one was the burnt offering. A burnt offering. That was a spotless lamb that was supposed to be sacrificed on the altar. The second offering was the grain offering. And that was flour that was ground up and brought to the altar. And then there was the oil offering, which was sometimes in different passages poured out on the altar but in this case, it was mixed in with the flour, and it was made part of the grain offering. Now you say, maybe, who cares, right? Well, we're going to care because this is what we're called to do every single morning. And notice in the text that the Lord is specific. He says three times in three verses, do this morning by morning. Morning, 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 morning. Every single morning, don't deviate, don't miss a day. Every morning, I want you to offer a burnt offering, a grain offering, and an oil offering. So, if we as believers are called to die to self daily, and we're called to trust in Him and ask Him to teach us in the way that we should walk, then we need to understand exactly what the Lord expects us to do every single morning. Okay? Let's look at each three. Number one, let's start with the burnt offering. The burnt offering. You will provide, verse 13 says, a lamb a year old without blemish for a burnt offering to the Lord daily. Morning by morning, you will provide it. The first offering was a sacrifice for repentance, cleansing, and consecration. The burnt offering was a sacrifice for repentance, cleansing, and consecration. When the spotless lamb was brought to be sacrificed, sounds familiar, right? The spotless lamb was brought to be sacrificed. It represented the payment for sin. And the blood which was poured out and which was required was the remission of sin. It, it took away the sin. So the lamb, it says in the text, look at it, verse 13, had to be without any blemish or defect. It, its lack of imperfection symbolized what Christ would do that God is holy, none of us are holy, and that we need a holy, perfect Savior. We need a lamb, the lamb of God, who is a substitute. We need him to save us because there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Nothing was added to it. The lamb just came. It was spotless. It was placed on the altar and sacrificed. Nothing was added to it because that reminds us that nothing is added to salvation. It's not Christ and. 
It's not, well, Jesus died for my sins, but I've got to say certain prayers, and I've got to do good works, and I've got to help the poor, and I've got to do this and this and this and this and this, and then I'll be saved. I've got to be, I've got to be baptized, and I'll be saved. I've got to, I've got to say this or, or do this. Or no, no, there's nothing added. It is Christ only. Salvation is only through Christ. Not a thing you and I can do saves us, and we're not adding to it. So God said, just bring the spotless lamb and sacrifice it, and its blood is the remission. It's the payment for sin. And if you don't do that, if there's not a a lamb that's sacrificed, there's no hope. There's no forgiveness, and there's no future. But the lamb changed everything, didn't it? The lamb changed everything. When it was brought to the burnt offering, the people came with hearts of repentance and they laid their sins out before the Lord and they asked the Lord to forgive them and cleanse them. Because the only other option, if the lamb is not there, is that we have to rely on ourselves. Now, if we rely on ourselves, we are either saying to God, I am not guilty and you have nothing to hold me accountable for, which is such a ridiculous and blatant lie that it doesn't even disturb discussion. Or we are saying to the Lord, I forgive myself for my sin. I declare myself not guilty, and the sin doesn't stick to me. It's a non-issue because I say it's a non-issue. They say, well, that's kind of crazy. But you know what? That's the enemy's most common and surprisingly successful tactic right now. You just got to love yourself, and you got to forgive yourself for, for what you do. You know, many people dismiss the concept of accountability to God if it even exists, and they either implicitly or explicitly declare themselves to be just fine. I don't need to think about it. It's fine. If there is a God, he'll accept me because I've been a good person. And, of course, that's a very appealing concept, isn't it? Because, of course, I'm going to cut myself some slack. When you have an argument with a spouse or a family member or a coworker, do you ever at any point say, you know what, I am completely and totally wrong. I take full responsibility for this argument. You are 100% innocent, and I am 100% guilty. Try your next argument with your spouse that way and see what happens. What do we do, right? Dig in. Even when I know I'm wrong, I dig in. Maybe if I argue this enough, she'll see that she's at fault, but I know I'm wrong, but I'm not telling her that I'm wrong. If I do that with Julie, or I do that with friends, I'm certainly going to try to do it with God. And, and we can dig in and say, well, I'm not guilty, and I, I, I declare myself not guilty, and I exonerate myself, and I'm going to give myself a free pass because of this reason and this excuse, and you don't know what's going on and what my life's like and how difficult it's been, and, and I'm doing my best. Do you know the phrase about lawyers that he represents himself as a fool for a client? That's what I thought of when I was going through this. To say to the Lord, I am innocent. 
My sin doesn't count. I, I, I haven't done very much, Lord, and, and it's fine and it's good. Like we're trying to convince God, oh, he can just, just sacrifice his holiness to accept us because we're making a good case. There's no such thing. Every person knows in their heart that they've sinned hundreds of thousands of times over. And that sin corrupts us and it disqualifies us from saving ourselves, which means that we need a Savior. So instead of justifying our guilt and instead of uh, saying that it's not a problem, we need to repent of it. And we need to ask the gracious God to forgive us and cleanse us and change our hearts. And if you look back at verse 13, that was the purpose of the burnt offering. It pointed toward the ultimate sacrificial lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. So the burnt offering was a voluntary act of worship to express devotion and commitment to the Lord. It was a statement of consecration, which is to be holy and set apart. Now, of course, as disciples of Jesus Christ, who are saved by his grace and saved by his sacrifice, that is what we're called to do every morning. It is what we're called to do throughout every day. It should be our first thought when we wake up. It should be the first words out of our mouth. Lord, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. And then we should say to the Lord, I surrender myself to you today. I'm your child. I'm your servant. I'm set apart for you. And Lord, I ask you to sanctify me and consecrate me for your glory. How many know there's no way we should be asking the Lord to show us his glory unless we are first submitted to his lordship? It would, be, it would be ridiculous. It would be offense to him. Oh, Lord, oh, I'm raising my hand. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, well, are you submitted to me? Well, not really, but show me your glory. Come on, Lord, bring it down. I want to see you work. Well, well, are you surrendered to me? Well, not really. No, but I still want you to work. I still want what you're going to give me, but I'm not giving anything back. Or I'm only giving part of it. When we offer the spiritual burnt offering to the Lord, that's when we can go to him and say, oh, it's because of you, Jesus, the lamb that was slain for me. You were the burnt offering for me. You were the one that was sacrificed to me. Now, Lord, in response, I'm so grateful to you. I sacrifice myself to you. My selfishness, my will, my plans, my desire for glory. Lord, it's all burnt on the altar for you. So I want to encourage us to make this a foremost priority every morning to offer a spiritual burnt offering of ourselves and our pride and to literally ask the Lord, today, Lord, purify me and consecrate me for your glory. Then we get to the second offering. The second offering was the grain offering. And the grain offering was a sacrifice of worship and thanks, praising the Lord for his provision. Look back at verse 14. Also, you will provide a grain offering with it, morning by morning, a sixth of an ephah and a third of a hint of oil to moisten the fine flour, a grain offering to the Lord continually by a perpetual ordinance. Now, the people were instructed to bring the grain offering every day. So that meant they need to take wheat 
or barley, whatever was available, and they needed to bring it to the Lord as a sacrifice. Now, you remember from the end of October that we did a whole study about barley, right? Barley was the most common grain. Nothing special, nothing particularly valuable about it. It was kind of just what got you through. It was what you used every day. Now, apply that concept to verse 14 and to the uh, concept of the grain offering. So the grain offering represented their everyday lives. It represented their everyday thinking and their attitude. And I asked myself and I asked you this morning, what does that look like for us? What is your first thought when you wake up? How do you carry yourself throughout the day? What's your demeanor? What's your outlook? What's your attitude? When people are around you, do they kind of see you as, as surly and unhappy and discouraging? Somebody who's always kind of negative and in some kind of a crisis? Do they see a, kind of a fatalistic, self-focused mindset? Or do they see somebody who's positive and hopeful, who encourages people, who prays for people, who, who, is, who is confident in the Lord, who's content, who, who exudes love and selflessness and, and, a, and the heart of God? I'm not talking about disingenuous optimism like, oh, I'm great, when you really are not. That's not real. I'm talking about a genuine joy and faith and contentment in the Lord. Lord, help us to have that. I need it so much more. Contentment, joy. Oh, the Lord's good today. How, how can I minister to somebody? How can I pray for somebody? Now, now, how can we be the people that that describes? Well, look back at verse 14. Because we have to bring a grain offering to the Lord every morning. As believers, we should start every day with praise. Literal intentional gratitude poured out to the Lord. And listen, if you and I do that morning after morning after morning after morning, it will completely refocus our heart and our mind. It will change the way we think. We'll stop being controlled by stress and by worry, and our priorities will start to be guided by the Spirit instead of ourselves. That means you may need to turn off certain music. It means you may not need to stop looking at your phone first thing. It means you may not stop, uh, keep listening to talk radio. I don't know what it is for you. But if we're not starting the day praising the Lord, honoring the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and we just go right into the teen, what, what does Facebook say, and what's on the news, and man, it's depressing, and the government's shut down, and, and there's crime everywhere, and people are getting kidnapped, and, and ugh, all right, well, I can get in the shower and get ready, right? That's, that's most mornings. Instead of opening our eyes and saying, praise you, Lord, you're such a good God, you have new mercies for me today. Oh, what a joy to know you today, Lord. You're the God in heaven. You set the stars in the sky last night. You know every one of them by name. And you, you raised the sun this morning. Annie and I were driving up to church this morning. And we literally saw the crest of the sun over the lake. We couldn't see the lake, but we saw the light hit the trees. And I said to Annie, look how beautiful that is. God did that. God did that. And it filled my heart with praise for the Lord. And when you see God raise the sun, our little problems, they're a lot less. 
There are two factors that make the grain offering very important. Look back at the verse. Both of these are personal. One is that unlike the burnt offering, the grain offering actually had latitude in terms of the rules governing it. So the people could add to it what was required. In other words, they could kind of um, personalize what they brought to show the extent of their gratitude. It's like the concepts we talked about in our giving series last year, right? That going beyond the tithe, not just bringing, well, here's my 10%, and I'm going to give to the Lord, and it's just going to be the check that I write. No, it goes beyond that. It's the heart and the attitude that comes behind it. That's why we've said this is a breakthrough year. So instead of just giving 10%, we're going to give 11%. And if you're not tithing yet, then you need to get up to that. But, but it's a heart of gratitude. It comes out of the joy in our hearts. Look at all the things the Lord's done for us. Look at how he's blessed us. We're going to give back. That's a grain offering. The second factor was that during the 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness, grain was scarce. So when God established the grain offering back during the law, he was saying to them, this is going to be costly to you. This is going to be precious to you to bring to me because it's going to show that you need to completely depend on me to provide for your needs. Now, most of us are going to wake up tomorrow morning with a job to go to or a family to raise. And for the most part, we're going to be able to do that physically and financially. For the most part, most of us, maybe all of us, don't have to worry tomorrow morning because we're going to wake up with our routine and the things that we need to do. But listen, if you've ever experienced a sudden job loss or if you've experienced some kind of physical problem or, or some kind of crisis in your life that creates uncertainty and instability, you know, you know how much that changes your perspective about having to depend on the Lord. Most of us won't even think about it tomorrow morning. Wake up, oh, it's Monday. All right, got to go to work, got to take the kids to school, got to do all the things that I got to do. I got a mile-long list, and I got to get all this done, and the errands, and go to the cleaners, and figure out something for dinner, and, and whatever. That, that, that's our day tomorrow. We don't even think about it because it's so familiar. But I guarantee you, if you're fighting an illness or you don't have a job tomorrow, you're not thinking that way. All of a sudden, it's I've got to depend on the Lord. Because it's easy to praise the Lord during the many times of blessing that we have, so much so that we forget to thank him for it. But when things are scarce, our faith and our worship costs us more, doesn't it? And when we see him work, our praise changes. It means so much more. Remember, the first time I was out of work, Julie and I had a bill I can't remember the number. It was about $300. I don't know what it was. And I had been out of work for a long time and applying to churches all over. I think I applied to 325 churches, something like that. I was young. I had no experience. And we went out to the mailbox one day, and there was a check for the exact amount that we needed. I'm telling you, I praise the Lord differently after that. That wasn't just, oh, what's the mail, bills, EMPs. And property tax, oh, gee, got a bad cable bill, the Verizon bill. Don't you hate bills? Bills stink. But I'm telling you, you open a check from an anonymous person, and it says the right amount, the exact amount you need, and you go, Lord, that's you. 
That's you. That changes your praise. So I want to encourage each of us, whatever your situation is, but especially if things are good, if things are on cruise control, I want to encourage each of us to start every morning with a grain offering sacrifice of praise. Uh, uh, thank you to the Lord, an exaltation of the Lord to be intentional about specifically saying to God, Lord, thank you. Thank you for my job today. Thank you for this warm car with the heated seats that I get to drive. Or thank you for my beater that's 20 years old that still gets me there. Thank you for my warm bed. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my church, Lord. Thank you for making that sunrise today, for the beauty of your creation, for the fact that it hasn't snowed and it's the middle of January. Thank you, Lord. I mean, seriously, right? How often do we just take all that stuff for granted? Another morning, got to run through Starbucks, I got to go to work. No, no, treat it differently. Praise him. The grain offering. Now, once we've submitted ourselves to being consecrated, and once we've praised him for all he's done, that leads to the last offering. Look at it, verse 15. This is the oil offering. The oil offering was a first fruits sacrifice of personal dedication. Verse 15, they shall provide the lamb, the grain offering, and the oil morning by morning for a continual burnt offering. Now here, the oil was mixed with the flour as part of the grain offering. But when you research oil throughout the Bible, it has great significance. The main purposes of oil, other than cooking, were for anointing and dedication. And anointing and dedication go together. The concept is first seen, I believe, in Genesis chapter 28. You can look at the text later. It's where Jacob dedicated the spot after he had the dream about the ladder going up to heaven. You remember that, that narrative? So he dreams about the ladder going up to heaven, and he wakes up, and he praises the Lord, and he takes the oil that he has, and there's a stone pillar there, and he pours it out on the pillar, pillar because he says this is a holy place of calling. In fact, he renames the place Bethel, which means house of God. So Jacob says, I've had an encounter with the Lord. I've seen the greatness of the Lord. I'm now consecrated and called to the Lord. That's the burnt offering. And I, and I praise you, God, for who you are. That's the great offering. Now I'm going to pour out an oil offering. I'm going to consecrate and dedicate and anoint this place as a place of God. Moses anoints the tabernacle with oil in Exodus chapter 8. And he consecrated the tabernacle after it was built as a holy place unto the Lord. And he went into the altar and he took oil. And seven times, the number of perfection, seven times he pours out oil on the altar. And then he pours oil on Aaron's head because Aaron was the high priest. And he says, you're anointed and set apart for God. And then you may remember when David became king, what did Samuel do? He went and found David. And he took oil and he poured it out on David's head. And he said, you're the anointed king of Israel. You're the one God has chosen. And David wrote about it later in Psalm 23, which we read yesterday and we studied last fall. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So what does that tell us? 
What does that mean for you and I tomorrow morning? How do we offer an oil offering to the Lord every day? Well, what if we started every single day with completely dedicating ourselves to the Lord? With literally saying to the Lord, I'm asking you today to keep me holy in all that I do. Whether you're in sales or you're a nurse, or you're a police officer, or you work in a factory, or you're teaching, or you're a student, or you're raising kids, whatever you do, Lord, today, everything, everything for your glory. I want to represent Jesus Christ as one of his children, one of his saved, redeemed children. I want to represent him well Because I'm dedicated to you. I'm consecrated to you. And Lord, everything I do today, if I start to slip, you catch me. You convict me. Holy Spirit, you make it difficult for me. You tell me, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. You stop right there. Don't say that word. Don't think that thought. Don't have that attitude. You stop right there. Oh, I guarantee you, if we say, Lord, today for your glory, everything I do, you will hear that voice. It's when we stop saying that that we stop hearing the voice, right? Become very dull to it. That's just one little sin. I'll repent of it later. God doesn't care. Well, he does care. If we are intentional every morning about praying to the Lord, Lord, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit today. I want to walk by your spirit today. You know what that is? That's pouring out the oil on the altar of his grace. It's combining it in with the dedication of our praise as our personal grain offering. It's saying consecrated, praising God, dedicated to the Lord. Lord, I want to honor you today with the first fruits of everything that I do with my work, with my attitude, with my relationship with my spouse, with the way I parent my kids, which is the way I serve you, the way I worship you, the way I pray. Lord, everything today, I want to be in your hands. I love that concept. And I've been convicted about it as I've studied. Because how often do we approach tomorrow And newsflash, it's going to be another cold, gray Wisconsin Monday. Yay. How often do we approach tomorrow with a been there, done that, don't want to do it again mindset? So let's change it. Let's wake up tomorrow and dedicate the day completely to the Lord. Lord, cleanse my heart today. I know you've already done that. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ and the fact that my sins are washed clean. But I know what I did yesterday, and I need to bring that to you and repent of it. So, Lord, cleanse me today. And, Lord, I praise you that I have another day to live for you. I have another day to serve you. I have another day with my family and my friends. I have another day of work. I have another day of routine. Praise you, Lord, for the routine. And then saying to him, Lord, today's your day. I'm yours. And I'm asking you to anoint today. I'm asking you to use me for your glory. I'm asking you to show me your glory in a fresh way. How many know, come on, that'll change our perspective, right? That'll, that'll change Monday. And we'll start to look forward to seeing how the Lord's going to work. And how he gives us opportunities to praise him and to serve him. 
I promise you, I promise you that it will not be a typical Monday if we start by presenting those three offerings to him. Because every single one of us is going to wake up tomorrow with fresh mercies from God waiting for us. And we have the privilege to respond to those mercies with sacrifices of our own, which he will abundantly bless. Praise his name.